Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, your host, and today I'm joined by Dan Yarrington from Game Salute. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Richard. It's a pleasure to be on. Now, games, now you've been in the industry for quite a while, but Game Salute is a recent phenomenon, something that you just have recently launched. Tell us a little bit about how long Game Salute's been around. So Game Salute and Concept has been around for about three years. Uh, we started working on the ideas behind it, and it wasn't really an amalgamated idea or a company until April this past year in 2011, where we formed an official company for Game Salute. Uh, but it really took a lot of the concepts of what's missing in the industry as far as tools that publishers and stores could use to uh, better promote themselves and better kind of manage, really looking at the entire experience of producing, distributing, developing, marketing, and enjoying games. So we're looking at it from a consumer's perspective, a store's perspective, and a publisher's perspective. And those concepts are kind of rattling around for many, many years. And then we kind of developed a, a business plan over time, and then officially in April this past year, we formed Game Salute LLC. And so now we are a separate company doing that. I've been in the industry since uh, about 96, and my background is, you know, I just love games. My family grew up playing games. I play a ton of games still. And then uh, I started a retail uh, chain of stores, Myriad Games, and that started as just one store back in 99, and then we expanded to multiple locations. So uh, that, I am still involved with Myriad Games, but my primary focus right now is that I'm the CEO of Game Salute, and we really focus on the panoply of different kind of challenges that the industry faces and coming up with solutions for them. Okay, and then uh, Myriad Games is based out of uh, New Hampshire, correct? Yes, we have two locations. In Right now we have locations in Manchester and Salem, New Hampshire. Let's talk about uh, Game Salute. Game Salute um, is starting to get a little bit of a brand out there because really it, uh, for, if, you, if you're, so to our listeners, if you have a, a Kickstarter campaign and uh, you have a board game that you want to bring out to market, one of the challenges that we've talked about on the show is the traditional, what I call the value network, the traditional way of getting that game to market, getting it in game stores so that people can buy your game. And Dan, what you saw was a, an opportunity, not necessarily directly related to Kickstarter, but the opportunity f to help small indie publishers to get their games to market. And, and in essence, that's what has formed the power behind GameSalute. Is that correct? Yeah, and that started really by request. Like, we just started GameSalute as we're going to, we have these specific challenges that we have in the industry, we want to address them, but we're going to look at tools and services for wherever there are deficits in the industry, wherever there are things that are lacking. And so we had publishers, uh, specifically Clever Mojo Game. We were working with them from the very beginning. This was back before GameSalute was around, just kind of using our connections to try and get them into that value network. You can get them into that value chain. We were saying, look at this great game. Uh, we had ordered it for our stores, and we had said, hey, you should pick it up. Other stores, you should pick it up. You know, Distributors, you should pick it up. And everybody, resoundingly, it was just, no, nope, not interested, not interested, for whatever reason. You know, the, the numbers didn't work for them or the information didn't work. As we started unpacking it, um, David had said, well, I don't have anybody to do the fulfillment. I have 3,000 games. It was the second printing of the game. I have 3,000 games coming, and they're going to be landing in my garage, and I have no idea where I'm going to put them. Like, like he was trying to calculate square footage and be like, how can I fit them? And we said, well, we have a warehouse. You know, we could do that for you. And so we just kind of stumbled into that, really. It was just by request. It was, hey, we need somebody to do this. And then we really sat down and we looked at it. How would we ideally build a uh, fulfillment service for 
publishers that will provide them with the information and the support that they need to have the information they need to really run their business well. And then we also looked at it from the store's angle and said, you know, as the customer of the publisher, in this case, the, the stores are buying the games direct from the publisher through GameSalute. What do we need to offer stores to really show them the level of support that we're committed to? And so we could look at it from both angles. We kind of exist at that nexus in between. And we can say, what do we need to do to create real support for these titles? And then we uh, expanded beyond that and we picked really great titles and we said, we'll support this title. And, and so some, what, what are some of those titles that you've supported or are currently supporting if somebody's not been out to the GameSalute website? Sure, so we work with uh, Serling Games. They make Yomi, Puzzle Strike, Flash Duel. Flash Duel 2nd Edition just came out. Um, we work with Dice Hate Me Games of Carnival. Um, we work with, uh, there's a whole, we work with Tasty Minstrel. We worked with them on the launch for Eminent Domain. Um, we actually have Kings of Aaron Steam is going to be a select store exclusive coming out in the future. Uh, that's going to be in like Q3 2012, I think. Uh, and we're up to, so we started out with one two publishers right and then we just said that's fine we weren't really trying to expand that and then just by word of mouth and people came to us hey i've heard that you did really great things for so and so you know would you handle my project and so then we said well how do we determine whether or not we will handle these things right because it's a huge amount of investment on our end we're investing in all the infrastructure the warehouse the employees the staff shipping hundreds of packages every week somebody has to pay for that right and so we had to actually actually had to sit down and say okay for that portion of the business plan what are the numbers and, and how do we qualify these things? And so now we've expanded out where we're at the point where I think, I just had a meeting with a publisher yesterday, I think we're at about 13 or 14 publishers that we're working with now uh, just in the course of a year to the point where we're upgrading our warehouse in the next couple months um, and we are going to be at a bunch of different shows and, and there's really a ton of stuff that's developed out of that. But it all started with just the idea that, hey, I need somebody to, to help me with this. And then we said, how can we ideally do that to serve the publisher? And so if I'm a if I'm a Kickstarter uh, fan, or excuse me, I'm a Kickstarter publisher, I get the idea, I get it on Kickstarter, I now uh, realize that I'm faced with this successful Kickstarter campaign where I'm going to have two, three thousand copies of this game in my garage. I can come to you, and you then are going to be able to help me handle. What part of this process? Well, really everything. If you think about it, we're kind of a toolbox. So our featured fulfillment service is everything that would involve that. It's receiving, secure storage, picking, packing, shipping, tracking, customer service, sales to stores all around the world, uh, the accounting that goes with it. So literally, like, our, your product, you own it. It sits in our warehouse. We sell it for you. We handle all your individual orders. So if people are ordering th from you online, like if they're ordering through your website, if they're ordering through shop.gamesalute.com, if they're ordering through Amazon, any of those places that you're selling the product, and we're, usually we're selling it on behalf of you effectively, so you don't even have to do that work. Then we just collect all those things. We ship out the packages. Every month we send you a report. It says, here you go. This is your, you know, how many sold, and this is your check, and we usually do that electronically. So it really kind of, that service, Feature Fulfillment, does all of that in one little service. It's getting your product where it needs to be, getting that exposure out there. And then we have other things like our convention support services that we're launching this year, where you say, I want to be at all these shows, right? But I can't go to all these shows. And so now we actually have the option for you to go to those shows through us. So we attend those shows, like PAX and Gen Con and Origins. And we show off your games for you. And then obviously if you can attend some of those shows, that's great. But now you don't have to dedicate your entire life to doing this. And we can leverage the economies of scale of bringing a lot of these publishers to these shows at once rather than 12 different publishers all trying to attend the show separately. So 
let's just be clear about how you differentiate because I know that there are some other organizations out there or companies that bring in a publisher, do their Kickstarter campaign, and then resell their games for them. Right. So those are traditionally um, what we would call publishers. So the term publisher might be confusing there because a lot of people don't think of themselves as publishers when they get on Kickstarter, right? They're just a guy or a girl with a project. And some of them are actually trying to establish game companies and become publishers. But we consider everybody that has a game that they are effectively publishing, right, whether they're doing it through Kickstarter or not, we call them all publishers. So there are other companies that do services that support publishers like that. I mean, there's a million warehousing companies. Yeah, but I was thinking about more that actually, okay, I'm, I'm just a guy. I've got my game that, that almost I give up my intellectual property and control of the game because now it becomes part of their publishing stable. Oh, sure. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so the difference, the big difference there, and that is a stark difference, is that you are the publisher. You own the rights. You own the, the, the actual product. Um, we don't own any of that. We're just kind of your advisor, your toolbox, right? You, you use us. We serve you. But you still own all the rights. You get the vast majority of the revenue from those things. I mean, we basically we have to take a portion of those things to process them, right? Because we have to pay our costs for the warehouse and the staff and all that stuff. It's costs that you would have to pay anyway. Like somehow those costs have to get paid. But really, at the end, anybody that buys this uh, buys things from us, as opposed to I'm Z-Man Games, for instance, right? I sign a publishing contract. I'm investing the money to uh, publish that game. I'm doing a lot of the promotional work and all that stuff. We don't do that. We don't do the development, really. We kind of assist with that, but we don't do that work. That's the publisher's job. They do the design, the development. They should be doing a lot of the promotional stuff. But the multiplicity of other things that you have to do, that's what we do without taking over ownership or control of the product. We help build those brands and build those companies for the publishers because it's their product and their intellectual property. So they're not ceding those rights. And usually, a lot of those publishing contracts will either be for an extended period of time, you know, five or 10 years, or they might be into perpetuity. And so uh, as a publisher, as a considering, if you wanted to be a publisher, uh, and there's an alternative to not doing that, I would much rather retain control of my IP and have the ability to, you know, gain money off of that for many years to come rather than just saying, yeah, it's just too complicated. In the past, it was, it was way too complicated for you to do it. It honestly is. It's just way too complicated for you to publish your own game. There's and that's right. And we've, and we've talked about that complication because yeah. you're dealing with, uh, you're dealing with, now, do you help with, so I've got a card game and I, I don't have a printer. Sure. So do you help with that? We do everything for that. So I, I think the, the scenario that you posited before was I have my successful Kickstarter campaign and I don't know what to do with this now, right? Well, that's, that's a unique scenario. That's like, oh, I, I'm successful. And we certainly have a lot of clients that are like that, right? They already have this. And now they're like, well, I didn't really think about how I'm going to sell this to stores. But ideally, we want to get involved much earlier. We want to get involved to optimize the product as far as, you know, the package size to fit on the shelves and look nice, the presentation, all that sort of stuff. And so we want to work with publishers as early as possible. And so we'll work with them to build that Kickstarter campaign. We'll work with them to the, go through the entire process of making sure that that product is as ideally presented to the marketplace as possible. And so we can recommend printers, we can recommend artists, we can recommend graphic designers. Now, when we're doing this, it's not like we're saying, you must get this printed, printed at Panda, right? We're not saying you must do this. We're just saying, hey, in our experience, our other clients have used XYZ and they have really appreciated their service. That's it. We don't get any money for that or anything. We just, our incentive is to make sure that it's a quality product that we're supporting. So, so you're not going, so to be clear, so you're not going to... 
actually manage the printing and and the and the actual development of my, not development. What am I talking uh, about? The creation, sure. the manufacturing of yeah, ideas. the manufacturing. So we uh, it depends on the project. We have some folks, and that is kind of the the management. Uh, we can work more intimately with that, and there are kind of separate fees associated with that because everything is just how much of our time do we have to spend doing it, right? And so usually the publishers kind of work with that directly. We just kind of get CC'd on it. And so we'll kind of oversee things. We'll be like, oh, wait, whoa, 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 you're using this size box. Don't do that. Like that's going to increase your shipping cost by X. And so we'll work with the publisher and their printers to optimize that. Now, we are making the process a little easier now, actually, where we do we have featured quotes. So a lot of times it takes a while to turn around a quote. And because we're sending all these publishers to these printers, they are happy to, to kind of expedite our quotes for us. So there are little marginal benefits that we can provide like that. Um, but we don't manage that entire process. Usually that's what the printer does. So they're going to manage all the sourcing of components and all of that stuff. Uh, you're just kind of, kind of, hey, here's what's in my game. They come back, they give you the quote, and then you say, okay, go ahead. And then they'll keep coming back and forth. Oh, hey, do you have the final files for the rule book? You know, that sort of stuff. The publisher is still handling that. But we're working with the publisher to make sure that there aren't any hitches along the way. We're the resource that if they go, oh, crap, well, I don't know what to do about this, right? Then they come to us. They literally just call us or email us and say, hey, what do I do about this? Help. They say right? help. As opposed to, so we're not managing that kind of on a daily basis, but we're there because the difference of a five-minute phone call could save you thousands of dollars over the course of your print run as far as cost, right. uh, shipping costs right. being a perfect example. Oh, you made your box uh, this size because I don't know why. Like I ask people in our, uh, when people sign up for our services, we say, what, what do you want your box to look like? And most people never even have thought about it. They just go, oh, I don't know. Just like this size, like why? Why and, do you want and, it that size? And, co and cost shipping, uh, because of the United States Postal Service with their, you know, if it fits, it ships. Yep. Uh, if you, for example, I shipped a copy of Dominion the other day. Um, the Dominion box was about an eighth, between an eighth and a quarter of an inch too big for the, if it ships it, if it fits, it ships the box. The flat rate, yeah. Yeah, the flat rate. And so I had to like... I had to actually use tape to slide it into the box because the box was splitting at the seam, and I just had to wrap it up because I was shipping several things, and I, need, I needed that box to fit in there. And, it, and I thought to myself, you know, just that standard, if you standardized and thought about your shipping packaging, how many t copies can you get into a, a flat rate ship box, that type of thing, to well, simplify and streamline. Yeah, and the other thing is um, looking at it from a store perspective, if you want to get your game into stores and have it displayed on shelves, how is it going to display? If you give me a game that's three-quarters of an inch deep uh, as far as the depth of the box, it's not going to stand up facing forward, especially with shrink wrap. So now it's just going to fall over, so now it gets spined out. The idea being that you know how a book has a spine, right, as opposed to the cover. So most of the time you want your game facing out, you, but if it can't stand up, if it falls forward off the shelf onto the customer that's not good so they're going to go well, i can't put it face out it falls over so you have to balance those things between what are your shipping optimizations what are your display optimizations what is the value of the customer because there is a lot of psychological value of like it's nice to hold a certain size box right or this fits with my other games in my collection that sort of thing okay that's understandable you've talked about uh a, a a couple of other things. One is, as we kind of end with our last few minutes, let's talk about the, the money. Because you've talked about the costs of saving thousands of dollars and handling all of this. 
from the conversations you and I have had, Game Salute appears to save both the consumer, the manufacturer, everybody money with uh, GameSalute still making money, being able to help facilitate these services. But it seems like all those costs, somehow you're reducing, magically reducing a lot of the costs that are associated with getting a game to market. You want to kind of touch on that just briefly in our last few minutes? Sure. Well, it's not magic. It's math. It's the fewer legs in the supply chain you have, the less cost you have to roll in, the better value you can provide for the customer. And what we do is we provide optimization and efficiency gains based on the fact that we're consolidating those things. So we're doing things in in such a way that we can not only uh, reduce the overall price of a game, which you'll see with things like Kings of Air and Steam was going to be a $60 game. Instead, it's a $50 game because we're supporting it. Um, but we can also make sure that the value for, um, for the stores and the value for the consumer is there. And the way that we do that is that all of our things, uh, all of our, our processes are performance-based. So we make a little bit of money when we sell a copy of the game. And that way, from the publisher's angle, they know that our incentive is to make sure their game is very sellable. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So that they're making so, their they're making their their piece. So it's it's right because we don't we don't want their game to be inefficient because if their game is inefficient from any perspective, no, hang on, shipping, hang on. Whatever. When you use the term inefficient, that's a that's what does that mean to our listeners? Inefficient just means uh, there's some way that we could have done something better. Like why are you spending X amount of money going to a show when you could have spent twenty five percent less? Okay. You know, why are you, we want to make your company, I guess, is the better way to put it, rather than your game, right? Your game packaging might be inefficient, or uh, the particular component that you're using. You did it a quarter, uh, you know, a quarter inch larger, so now you had to go to a multiple sheet print, so now you're paying 50 cents more a copy. And the printers won't always necessarily tell you that. So that's the sort of thing that we work to optimize. So not only the production of the game, the presentation of the game, the packaging of the game, but also things like the marketing, right? Like wherever we can reduce costs and optimize your exposure in the marketplace, that's what we try and do. And a lot of that is just leveraging efficiencies across the uh, scale because if we have 15 small publishers that have one game each, we can effectively present all of those for a far reduced cost than those 15 companies could do it individually. Going, doing ads separately or going to conventions separately. Exactly. Got it. All right. And so then our last topic then as we, as we wrap up here, and, and what we'll do, Dan, is uh, I think that there's a lot of good stuff here, particularly Kickstarter projects as they're, as they're approaching their delivery date are going to be thinking about a lot of these things that we've brought up in the podcast. We'll have to come back and do this again. The last sure. thing I wanted to touch on was that one of the challenges and, and criticisms against a Kickstarter campaign from the consumer side is that so many people argue. I disagree with it, but it's still an argument out there that the consumer is taking all of the risk because they're not aware or not guaranteed of the quality of the Kickstarter project that they're backing, that the game is an unknown and it doesn't have reviews or it doesn't have some kind of big publishing house behind it. And so I'm taking on more of the risk by backing that game. Well, I think that's that's more an issue of uh, a new company, right? Like if you're Clever Mojo Games and you've already had success with Alien Frontiers, backing a project from Clever Mojo Games is not as much of a risk. Right, but you've, ta you've because... taken steps, though, to help Kickstarter game projects address that issue with your springboard, Absolutely. right? Yep, so we have our springboard seal of quality. And what that means is that we've gone down this vast checklist of quality things. 
uh, was the game well play tested? Is it well designed? Is it well uh, prototyped? You know, does it have good presentation? Does it have good box art? All the things that we talked about, all the things that a publisher would normally do. But a lot of you know amateur publishers, they don't think about doing those things. So we're doing those things, and we're standing behind the product and saying, you know that this is going to be, because we're handling those through our feature fulfillment service, you know that it's going to be fulfilled well. You know that it's going to be supported well. You know that it's going to be in stores all around the world. All of those things are encapsulated in that springboard seal of quality. And furthermore, for the backer, for the customer, they can look at it and say, hey, this isn't just some fly-by-night. Because we actually turn down more companies than we accept. We get uh, probably a half dozen emails a day that say, I've got this game, I want you to look at it, and I want you to support it. A lot of times it's, oh, my Kickstarter campaign is failing, I want you to support my game. And we say, well, if you had worked with us from the beginning, maybe we could have worked with you and made, made it not fail, right? But now we can rework it with you and that's really what the the kind of springboard process right. is is it's that quality control okay so this has been great we're out of time what we'll do is we'll come back and address this uh springboard we'll address the fulfillment um all of these things i think are are very vital to the listeners if you have a kickstarter project that you want to bring out dan i want to say thank you very much for joining me today on the show Thank you, Richard, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, this is, you've been listening to Funding the Dream, a uh, podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, your host, and I just want to say thank you for listening, and take care.